The DI Guys Podcast was created to share the best ideas, strategies, and concepts so you can have conversations to help you exponentially grow your DI sales. While they may have lost their hair, they have not lost their minds. Here are the DI Guys, Chris Carlson and Mike Cogdo. This is Chris Carlson, and welcome to this episode of the DI Guys Podcast. We hope you had the opportunity to join us for the 2020 DI Summit. It was an amazing event with great presentations. In this episode, we want to replay Steve Miller's presentation. Steve is the Chief Operating Officer at Disability Management Services, and he shared some great insights into the individual disability insurance market. We hope you enjoy the replay. So with that, what I want to do is I want to introduce Steve Miller, Steve is the Executive Vice President and COO of Disability Management Services. Steve does a lot of behind-the-scenes work with various carriers, so this is somebody who really has got the inside baseball, and I I asked Steve to talk about not only kind of what has happened in the past, as kind of a launching point of what he sees going to be happening in the future based upon, you know, what he's seen or the conversations he's had with various carriers. So, Steve, with that, I'd like to turn it over to you, and you can get started. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, I want to thank you for um, asking me to be uh, a part of DI, the DI Summit. Um, what a what a tremendous turnout, and what a, a an awesome way to honor uh, DI Awareness Month. And um, if I can just figure out how to share my screen, I will be in good shape. Bear with me, guys. No worries. My first virtual conference. Um, Okay, here we go. All right. Go ahead, Steve. It looks great. (laughs) All right. So my assignment today is to tell you where the disability industry is going um, and um, I think to consider where it needs to go and what it needs to do to get there, we have to think about where it is today and where it's come from. Because the DI industry is one of the best kept secrets in the insurance industry, given these successes over the last 20 years. So uh, to me, the best way to to talk to you about where we're going is to give you a sense of just how far we've come and how successful the companies that operate in this space and the agents that operate in this space have been. So my agenda is pretty straightforward. I want to give you a little history that will give you that sense for not only where we've been, but what lessons we've learned along the way, because those lessons will be absolutely critical to us getting to the next level over the next five or 10 years. We need to to embrace and hold close the things we've learned over the last 20 years and the successes we've we've enjoyed are are because of some some operating approaches that we we need to really keep close. 
Um, I want to give you a, a sense for the state of the industry, both from a top and bottom line and, and mix of business, but most importantly, give you my long-term thoughts of where the industry is going to go, what the key success factors are. And you know what? We can't avoid the elephant in the room. We've got to kind of talk about the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, the economic fallout, and what that might do for the next couple of years. Um, but we're going to focus most of our time on when we come out of that pandemic, um, what are we going to look like? And, you know, as Chris said, I uh, work for a third-party administrator. So I get to talk to insurance companies and reinsurance companies and distributors that see our industry in really uh, quite a, a number of different ways. I've got clients that look at DI and say, you know what? It's really not for me. I'm getting out of the business and I need you to run off my, my block. I've got insurers that say, wow, DI has come so far and has so many things going for it and can do so many things for my other products and for my distribution and for my consumers that I want to get in and I need your help. I also have clients that have been in the industry for a number of years and, and they get it. They've seen the highs, they've seen the lows, they know the long-term commitment that's critical for the business, um, and they just need some help uh, getting to the next level. Also work with distributors that are quite innovative, quite creative, and they know that they need to continue to innovate and create dynamic demand for our products to get to that next level of, of their business. So I'm, I'm going to try and combine that kind of holistic view of, of who we are and where we need to go in, in my comments today. Um, first, some real quick history lessons. I think you guys all know DI is a cyclical business. Uh, we've had some pretty big highs, some pretty big lows, and our results are often very closely correlated with the economic climate as well as certain social factors. And I think the insurers that have done the best job are the ones that have taken a long-term strategic view of the business and their decision-making is really based on what do I need to do today to optimize my results five years from now? They avoid the temptation to do a quick market share grab at the, um, at the cost of future uh, viability. Um, they don't overreact in the bad times and constrict new business from coming in the door. They practice um, regular, prudent risk management principles, and they don't deviate from that formula. So it, the, the key really is, with DI, taking a long-term view of what's best for the business. Uh, unfortunately, our history is really littered with many companies that have overreacted, both in good times and bad times, and that's hurt us, and it's set us back, and we're starting to catch up now. This is actually one of my favorite pages. There's, there's not a lot of words on this page, but I think a picture tells really a thousand words when it comes to this. In 1980, uh, all was good in the DI world. Uh, margins were about 12.5%, and there were almost 70 different insurers with DI portfolios. 
You know, these companies love the, the profitability of the industry. They love DI as an additional source of, of sales. Uh, it was a diversification play. It was a way of attracting and retaining agents to their business. And, and with 70 insurers um, marketing and promoting DI, there was tremendous capital and energy going into our business. Now, if you fast forward to today and actually look at the last 17 years, margins aren't at 12.5% anymore. Guys, margins have averaged over 20% over the last 17 years. And that should tell you something. That should tell you either DI is the best kept secret out there in the insurance world or insurance executives have very long memories. So why did the industry um, shed so many players? Today, 10 companies make up 96%. So we've got margins that are north of 20% with 10 companies doing 96% of the sales. In 1980, we had margins that were quite a bit lower with roughly 70 companies offering disability products. Why is there such a difference at such a period of high profitability? Well, it's because of the losses that first manifested in 86 and carried through to 1998. That's 13 consecutive years that resulted from the, um, the cost of many companies playing in the disability business without really understanding what they were doing, without really taking a long-term strategic view of what was best for the business, uh, irrational policy features, participation limits, pricing, underwriting, kind of eroded that um, incentive to return to work, managed care, altered physician behavior, and companies just really weren't properly investing in their infrastructure. So when claims came in, they really were ill-prepared to deal with them, and they overreacted, constricted business, and a lot of companies got out. You look at this list, there's almost 50 companies on this page. These are some good names. This is a tremendous, tremendous loss of marketing dollars and promotion and education and distribution development that the industry lost during this period of time. Tremendous loss. And, you know, I'm a big believer that a rising tide lifts all ships. We need we need more marketing dollars. We need more promotion. We need more insurers backing this critical product line. Now, today, the disability industry is at a historically high period of profitability and very stable, Have been has been that way for the last 17 years, fueled by um, remarkable improvement in claim incidents, physician morbidity has stabilized, the industry has been able to take expenses out of its equation through automation and better risk selection principles. Uh, we've talked about a multi-life experience has been very favorable and brought additional business in at lower acquisition expenses. Um, companies have successfully invested in their infrastructure, especially their claims management capabilities. And the expertise is much greater today than it was um, 20 years ago. And um, one of the remarkable things is we've been able to achieve this 
historically high and stable level of profitability in a very low interest rate environment. And interest rates are very low. And as you guys know, investment income is a big part of how an insurance company makes money. And so there's ample uh, upside potential as interest rates uh, go back up. So I would say most, if not all, insurers today that are actively in the business are pretty happy with their bottom line performance. But when you look at their top line sales growth, you know, as Dan pointed out, the good news is the numbers are moving in the right direction. Uh, new policies are growing in the neighborhood of 5 to 10% a year over the last five years. New annual premiums only really growing 1% to 2% a year. I think most companies out there would, would like to see um, greater growth given the uh, very favorable profitability that they've been able to achieve. And certainly the, um, the good guys in growth is, have been the employer-sponsored multi-life business and um, I believe physician, uh, surgeon, and dentist business has grown <coughs> almost 5% a year. So if you look at the mix of business, and um, you know, I, I want to avoid um, being uh, redundant with what Dan presented. I only show you this because um, when the industry set goals to dig itself out of, out of the hole it had created, um, it executed very, very well on a number of those goals. But one of its goals was to be more diversified. And by being more diversified, lower its vulnerability to any kind of socioeconomic shift in a particular occupation. So as the industry um, continues to accumulate uh, doctor, surgeon, and dentist business at almost the 40% of total sales uh, clip, um, it, it really hasn't reduced that vulnerability to, uh, to that risk. And, you know, I, I love this business, and I'm not advocating writing less doctors, writing less surgeons, writing less dentists. As an industry, we need to figure out how to write a lot more of the other 150 million workers out there that need to protect their income. And if we can do that, if we can figure that out, uh, will reduce that exposure uh, in the, the medical professional marketplace. From a distribution standpoint, you see about half the business coming from career, half from, from brokerage. Um, uh, by market segment, you see employer-sponsored multi-life is up to 44% of new business. Um, and it seems like every year that number goes up a little. And because employer-sponsored multi-life is such a big part of our new business, non-cancelable products are really the product of choice today. I think if you were to look at one-on-one -on -one sales, uh, you'd see guaranteed renewable probably at closer to a 30% um, frequency, um, but overall, because of employer-sponsored multi-life, uh, GR is only about 20%. On the underwriting side, um, you know, after holding IMP limits uh, steady for many years, uh, there's been some modest increases, which is fine. And I think what we're seeing is um, less the high end of the, the limit going up and, and more the companies that operate in the middle ground 
going up to match the companies at the high end of the INP limits. So only modest INP limit increases, um, nothing to, to really worry about. Um, I think the industry has done a, a, a very good job uh, finding um, better risk selection techniques that could take expense out of the underwriting process, that could speed up the underwriting process, that can uh, improve future morbidity and, and make for a better um, buying experience. Uh, I would say just about every company in the business today is using pharmaceutical databases to get quick information on applicants. Two out of every three insurers are using a tele-interview to get a, a more consistent um, medical history profile, which theoretically allows them to um, order less APSs and get an underwriting decision uh, more quickly uh, to uh, producers and to their clients. I think what's really exciting is today, one out of every four insurers are using electronic underwriting engines, but two out of every three remaining insurers are giving serious consideration to what an underwriting engine can do. And, you know, when I say underwriting engine, I'm not necessarily talking about a fully automated underwriting decision, but using underwriting engines to triage uh, applications to get them through underwriting quicker and, and more accurately. Um, I also think big data is going to be um, a huge part of our future. Um, our ability to go out to third-party databases and find information quickly um, that can accurately predict future morbidity allows us to make underwriting decisions much faster, much more conveniently uh, for, um, for consumers. Uh, you know, Dan talked about those 90-day cycle times that when he was buying his coverage. Um, we need to do a much better job of getting business through the pipeline and issued quickly. Um, and I think our ability to use data to predict future morbidity is, is one of the absolute keys. So that really brings us to today, right? You know, and I, I was uh, kind of chuckling to myself when I thought about this assignment, where's the disability industry going? Um, much easier question to answer back in January when um, <laughs> the coronavirus really wasn't something we were thinking about. Um, but certainly um, it is throwing a, a curveball at us. And um, I wanted to spend at least a couple minutes talking about what the next couple years might look like um, and what the virus might ultimately do to our, our long-term uh, future as an industry. So in my conversations with many insurers, um, most insurers say, you know, Steve, we're, we're modeling out the impact of COVID-19 under three different scenarios. An optimistic scenario where we really see a recovery in about six to eight months. Um, a middle ground scenario of we, we see a recovery in one to two years and a pessimistic scenario where maybe it's a four to five year rebound. And, and I think um, while it's 
prudent to model out the impact of the pandemic under different scenarios. Most companies are considering that one to two year as the most likely scenario. Um, I, I believe that, um, you know, companies think the direct impact of COVID-19 claims will probably not be that dramatic. Um, they certainly will be dramatic in the group STD and maybe the worksite market where you've got shorter elimination periods, but the 90 to 180 day elimination periods of, <coughs> of individual DI um, will largely mitigate the impact of uh, direct COVID-19 claims. Um, but, you know, guys, I could tell you we're up about 15% in um, new claims as a result of, of COVID. And surprisingly, of the, that increase in claims, only a small percent are actually people that have been diagnosed with the illness. We're seeing a lot of what's called social disability or risk of disability claims. Um, and you know what a risk of disability claim is simply, I've got a, um, a compromised immune system or I've got a bad uh, case of asthma. My doctor tells me um, I'm at a higher risk if I were to get the coronavirus, so I can't work. A social disability would be maybe someone in an occupation that requires close proximity to other people or, you know, or maybe my employer has closed because of the, the uh, pandemic or I've been exposed to a group that um, was diagnosed with the, the disability, so I'm self-quarantine. So these are the type of claims we're seeing. Um, social disabilities and risk of disability claims have been around for uh, a, a long time. Um, but they've been fairly rare over the years, so there's not a lot of case law uh, around them. Uh, there are a handful of states that recognize these type of claims as legitimate, um, but largely case law is going to evolve um, with the pandemic and all the attention um, that social disability and risk of disability claims um, will will garner. So um, it kind of remains to be seen uh, what their impact uh, will be. Um, but I think most experts feel that the impact will be more pronounced um, from the economic recession. You know, you, you, you think about the unemployment rate was about three and a half percent in February. Three and a half percent. It's pretty good. Um, it's now 15% and it's expected to grow to 20%. Um, and that occurred just about overnight. And there's a, a, a large group out there that we call the working disabled people that go to work every day and work through pain and discomfort and various impairments because they're motivated to work. They like what they do. Now, what happens when all of a sudden they feel like my job's in jeopardy or maybe my employer is shutting down? Um, what happens to those people? Uh, I think most experts feel there's going to be an increase in mental nervous claims. Um, certainly, there's a lot of fear and trepidation out there. Um, we've got a, a, you know, a, a big exposure in the medical professional market where many of those folks are on the front line battling the virus. 
Um, we've got a lot of medical professionals who've taken big hits in income, and that income may not come fully back. Um, so how is that going to change claim behavior over time? So we're going to find out. Um, and and I, I believe we're in for a, a couple years of some bumpy roads, but we're going to come out of it, and we're going to come out of it stronger as an industry than we entered it. I, I truly believe that. Um, I think from a sales standpoint, you're going to see a bigger disparity from, between the winners and the losers. I think the insurers that have really invested in technology and automation, and maybe they do a, a, a lot of their business through um, electronic enrollment, um, they're actually seeing some pretty good sales numbers right now. And, you know, Corey talked yesterday about um, there's never been a better time to talk about disability uh, coverage um, with the pandemic. You know, the, the value in protecting your income from an unexpected sickness has never been more relevant and more at the forefront of people's minds. So some companies are seeing some very good sales numbers so far. Other companies that are more old-fashioned that sell face-to-face and use paper, um, they've taken some pretty significant um, short-term hit, hits to, to their sales numbers. You know, I think companies have, have gone out of their way to relax underwriting requirements to make it possible for you to do business in this challenging environment today by waiving labs and exams. And I think as Corey pointed out yesterday, the combination of the relaxed lab requirements and the, um, the relevance of disability protection today is creating a, a great environment for your sales. Um, I think insurers, as these claims start to come in, and if they come in as, as heavy as they can, you may see some insurers tightening their underwriting and their product offerings, maybe looking at some occupational classification changes, <clears throat> maybe more likely to um, put mental nervous limits in the coverage, maybe pushing guaranteed renewable products further. And by the way, I, I, um, I've always been a believer in guaranteed renewable products. You give me a 25% discount on the premium, I'm going to calculate in my head there's not many years I, I need to go without a rate increase before it gets pretty hard for you to raise my rates high enough to make that guaranteed renewable choice a bad one. So um, I've always been a fan of GR products. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think you, you may see more promotion of GR products going forward. I think you're going to see some constriction of GSI offers. I think you're going to see insurers um, taking a more collaborative approach in their decision-making where they're going to gather their marketing and actuarial and underwriting and claims folks on a regular basis and really try and understand what type of experience is emerging during these challenging and quickly changing times. Um, I know there's been a lot of headaches around the um, – uh, implementation of extended grace periods in the various states and how different states have different grace period rules. Um, I do not anticipate a significant negative impact from, from those extended grace periods. 
they've just been hard for the insurers to to implement with all that's going on right now. You know, this is probably the more important page. You know, what's the long-term impact of the pandemic? What's the long-term impact to our business? And, you know, I, I really think as we come out of this and as the economy rebounds, um, our industry is going to be really strong. There's going to be much greater consumer awareness of the value of protection products, and especially a product like DI that provides income replacement in the event of, of an unexpected sickness or, uh, or injury. Um, I think the pandemic is going to light a fire under all of us to automate and look for efficiency gains that make us less vulnerable in the future. When you think about it, so many companies overnight had to go from a brick and mortar model of operating their business to a work from home environment. And the companies that were most automated were the companies that were able to step up to that challenge the most effectively. And I know our company is looking at every vulnerability exposed in this short period of time and looking towards automation to eliminate that vulnerability. And I, I, I've talked to insurers that say, you know, Steve, the good news is this is really, really incenting us, motivating us to advance our business and to look for better and more automated ways to do business. And they're also focusing on the DI sales experience and how do we eliminate through technology and automation the traditional hassles of the DI sales experience? How do we make it quicker? How do we make it more entertaining? How do we make it more customized? How do we make it more similar to how people buy other products in their life? How do we use data to improve the way we manage risk? How do we use data to take expenses out of the equation and to deliver better value to our customers? So, um, you know, I think there's five keys to a successful future for DI. And it starts with technology-driven automation. Technology to make the sales process more engaging, more dynamic, more reflective of what millennials and eventually Gen Z generations are looking for, to shorten the sales cycle, to take expenses out of the equation that allows us to deliver better value to our customers, that allows us to simplify products and to deliver them in ways that allow us to expand distribution and diversify distribution, um, to cultivate new markets. Remember I said, I don't want to write less doctors. I want to write a lot more business in, in the other 150 million people that earn a living. Um, I want to develop synergies with other product lines. Um, how do we develop better synergies with life insurance products and critical illness products and long-term care products so that we're sharing um, acquisition expense and we're delivering better value and convenience to families that are doing financial planning? And obviously this last one is critical. 
we can't lose sight of the big picture and the long-term view. If the next couple of years are going to be bumpy, we've got to take a long-term view of this business. We've got to remember how far we've come. We've got to remember how good the last 17 years have been. We've got to remember what our formula is for success. Balanced decision-making, long-term view of what's best for a business, consistent risk management principles, and trying to customize the buying experience to what the emerging buying consumer um, is really looking for. You know, I, I like this picture because as, as someone that's run a couple product lines uh, through my career, you, you always look for markets that are big in size and low in penetration. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we're spending a lot of time today on the left side of this graph um, where we're small in number and big in penetration. A tremendous opportunity exists on the, on the right side um, where we've got, you know, tens of millions of underinsured or uninsured uh, workers, um, you know, very, very little market penetration and a screaming need for our product. The millennial generation is one we got to think really long and hard about. You think about millennials, first of all, they're the biggest generation in U.S. history, 93 million large, okay? Um, in a couple of years, millennials will make up three out of every four people that work, three out of every four people that work. If you think about millennials, they grew up in the age of mass communication and the internet. They're very cyber literate. They're very media savvy. They're a diverse group. They like to be entertained. They value customization. They value efficiency. And, you know, they don't always like to, to buy the way I like to buy. I mean, they don't always like to have to meet face to face to travel to someone's office and, Certainly the generation that comes behind them, the Gen Zers, um, you know, my kids will, will text me from the same room rather sometimes rather than, than actually talk to me. So, um, you know, how they buy other products in their life, um, we need to take a look at that because more and more they're going to look to meet their insurance needs in much the same way. I believe that our industry needs more insurers actively engaged, providing products, providing marketing dollars, providing consumer education, providing agent development. Um, 10 companies doing 96% of the business. I'm not an advocate to go back to 70. Um, too many of those companies didn't take the long-term view didn't commit, didn't understand what it took to be successful. Um, but I would not be surprised if five years from now, instead of 10 companies doing 96%, we're looking at 15 companies doing 96%. And you know what? A 50% increase in insurer dollars will be that rising tide that will lift all ships and will greatly help um, our business. And certainly with product simplification, with better technology delivering a, a faster, easier, 
um, more streamlined way of delivering coverage, we'll be able to expand and diversify our distribution. I am very uh, bullish on the, the disability industry. I, I think its future is, is really bright. We're going to come out of the pandemic. And, you know, I, I, I look at, um, I think someone in one of the earlier presentations said, DI's time is now. There's never been a better time to talk about DI, and, and not just because of the awareness from the pandemic, but you think about today's workers are much more mobile. They're changing jobs very quickly. Um, the future of Social Security benefits very much um, up in the air. Uh, you've got um, <clears throat> you've got more employers that are reluctant to pay the full freight for a, um, a group LTD policy. And today's workers really own more responsibility for their families' um, financial security, for funding their retirement. And therefore, today's workers are more dependent on their paychecks than maybe any generation to, you know, that has come before them. So DI's time is absolutely now. Its future is, is really bright if we can embrace the challenge and opportunity that technology um, allows us, um, if we can practice um, prudent risk management and long-term thinking, if we can attract more insurers into the business to support our cause, um, and if we can weather the short-term bumps of what um, the economy and the virus is putting in front of us. Um, we need to remember the challenges of our past and always remember that our products need to protect consumers, but maintain that incentive for people to return to work. We can become much, much more mainstream um, if we follow this path. Um, I think we need to continue in multi-life business and growing it, um, but avoid the temptation to get overly aggressive um, with voluntary business where we don't get the right spread of risk, um, uh, overly aggressive with GSI offers. Um, but I, I am very, very bullish on the business. I like what I've seen. Um, I give tremendous credit to the companies that stayed in the business and um, built the industry back to uh, a great period of, of historically high and stable profits and have done so many things right over the last uh, uh, 10, 15, 17 years. So that's my story. Um, I would love to hear what's on your mind and, and answer some questions. Steve, that was just awesome. I really appreciate the, uh, the inside baseball uh, that you gave us and, and really a lot of uh, food for thought. Before I let you go, Steve, I do want to ask you one question, and it pertains to your comment regarding uh, new carriers coming into the marketplace. And obviously, for years and years, uh, we've been talking about the need for that. So I have a two-part two question. Is number one, how long does it take to bring a product to market, number one, and then number two, what are the biggest challenges any carrier either is facing as they're bringing a product to market or will face when they bring a product to market? 
Well, you know, I think, Chris, there's, there's a big difference between a company that's in the business today and, and wants to innovate and bring a new product to market. I think that's a, a shorter cycle time. I think a, an insurer that says, oh, my goodness, 20% per, 20% um, profit margins, uh, uh, lack of consumer penetration, lack of competition. You know, you think about the life insurance industry. There are hundreds of companies competing for market share. In the disability industry, there's 10, okay? And, and there's a, a huge consumer population that's barely penetrated. Uh, a, a company that wants to take advantage of those incredible strategic opportunities can be in the business in nine to 12 months, depending on how quickly they can make decisions and, and act. I think given that DI is a very specialized business, um, it's often uh, uh, quicker and better and safer to partner with experts in, in certain areas to, to facilitate that, that product design and, and entry. Um, but, you know, I think it's a nine to 12 month process. And then the, the, the challenges, is it just because, may, like you said, they don't have the expertise, so trying to develop all of the systems that we maybe take for granted as producers, i.e., you know, billings and claims and policy administration, things like that? Yes. I mean, because DI is not an easy business, because it's a, a very specialized business with a high infrastructure expense, there's, there's a lot you need to build internally or partner with, with a company that can deliver that, that expertise. Uh, the product pricing is typically fairly complex in that there's a lot of sales. There's a lot of uh, riders that add value, but a lot of moving parts. Uh, there's a lot of consumer, um, consumer and agent education that needs to be developed. So there are a number of pieces, um, but ultimately, there are a number of markets that um, that should be explored with simplified products and simplified processes that may be a lot easier for carriers to um, to get into and 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 have an impact. Um, you know, certainly the middle income market is one that's that's underserved, and to the extent that we can use automated underwriting and underwriting engines to more efficiently screen risk and get decisions either instantly or within a couple of days, um, I think it increases the value proposition as well as the viability for, for new carriers to enter. Yeah, Steve, that's obviously a subject that we could spend another, you know, one or two hours just talking about, but obviously don't have time today. So maybe uh, on the next summit, we'll have you back to talk about uh, the, the tricks in that. Um, so Steve, again, thank you so much for giving us that information. I appreciate you taking time to not only prepare for the presentation, but actually jumping on today. So thank you very much. My pleasure. 